ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is I've been waiting for so we're just gonna jump right into it this is hard to paint with david grubb and i am joined by dino the dean hansen and we're gonna get into the pelicans we're gonna wrap put a bow on the season itself we're gonna talk about the bubble and we're gonna get into what's next now that the pelicans have decided to part ways with alvin gentry dino welcome back how you doing my friend my brother i'm fantastic as always you know love being on hard in the paint doing what we do as we got the playoffs kicked off now, so uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the possibilities of the Pelicans going forward and being able to hopefully mold and shape this clay that is now officially set in place. Okay, well, first let's start with just looking back at what this season is. And there are three, three parts, most four parts I would divide the season into. Part one is... The, the, the period from when Zion got hurt up until the start of the third, up until the end of the losing streak. That's part one. That was an abject failure. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the reasons that I would give for that, and people, I, would, I don't know what percentage is, but you tell me where I'm thinking. Number one is this team was not roster built to sustain the loss of Zion Williamson at all. Goes back to, and this is going to be the theme for me on everything. No plan. You had no plan. No. And, and I think that when you, when we look back at this season and we're going to talk about David Griffin specifically, I think we're going to see, we'll be able to punch holes at certain points and say bad decision was made here. This is why we continue to have see failure. So I think that was number one. You have nothing in repla- to replace him in a back in a front court that you knew coming into the season was thin because you'd already lost Darius Miller. Right. He was not a great defender or rebounder, but he was length. You could have given him some minutes to offset some size, maybe. But, that, you know, but you had, you had a rookie in Jackson Hayes that you talked about as a red shirt, basically, before the season started. You knew he was raw. A kid who had played two year, one year of varsity basketball at high school and one year at the University of Texas where he didn't take a shot outside of the paint. Mm-hmm. Then you behind him, you have Jaleel Okafor, who we know can, is a low post technician, but not a great defender or rebounder and not, certainly not a, a rim protector. Mm-hmm. And then you had Derek Favors, who you knew on opening night was hurt. That his back was not what it should have been. You saw, you saw it. There was no, there was immediately no reaction to that. And there was no support given to that, to that area of weakness at any point in the season. Actually, they never brought in a reinforcement. And then to go back into that even further, I want to get your thought on this. You take in Christian Wood instead, you take, you let Christian Wood walk and, and instead you sign Nicola Melli and give Darius Miller one more year on a deal. I mean, two more years on a deal. And then Wood goes off and he's giving Detroit 15 and eight every night 
shooting 40% from three, has length, block shots, and you let him walk for nothing. Myriad of topics he just brought up, of course. Again, you still had no plan. Secondly, you mentioned Jaleel Okafor's weakness on defense, Darius Miller's weakness on defense. So they should have fit in perfectly because nobody on this team played any defense whatsoever. You add into the fact that from the optic standpoint of everything, all we did was try to piecemeal and band-aid parts on a car. The analogy that I've been using is simply this. Imagine your favorite vehicle, if you will, the vehicle you've always wanted your entire life. Let's say it's a Ferrari. Somebody wants a fast car. I wouldn't go a Ferrari personally, but that person wants a Ferrari. You've got top-of-the-line tires sitting on the left side. You've got the best and most powerful and fastest engine sitting on the right side. You've got a transmission that's like no other, top-of-the-line spark plugs. But mind you, they're scattered all over the assembly line's floor. Right. If you don't have all those parts, which look fantastic individually, but if all those key components don't know how to do this, how effective is that Ferrari going to be? And isn't it just as any other vehicle? Even though it's top of the line, you're paying XYZ amount of money, but there is no connectivity. They're not functioning the way they're supposed to. Now, we saw a Pelicans basketball team where we had good and I can't use the word great because we're far from that. We had good individual pieces of guys who could do things spotty here and there. There was never a level of consistency. Even with Drew being a fantastic on-ball defender, you didn't get it from Drew every night. Even with JJ being the exceptional shooter that he is, you didn't get it from JJ every night. Again, if you look at the totality of it all, you always were getting bits and pieces. On certain nights, one or two of these guys would go, but it would never be on the same night that these other two guys would go. Again, you never had it where everyone was connected. They always looked disjointed and lost on the floor. Five five individual pieces compared to a one team focus was the main issue of these guys they never looked as if they were on the same page as if they were aware of their responsibilities and what they were supposed to do there was never a level of tenacity and personal pride that any of them took so with you knowing that yeah Jalil's not the greatest of defenders but you know what Jalil can do he can put the ball in the hole for you and how many nights could we have used somebody to just put the ball in the hole? But you see, this is also where coaching comes in at, is that you know you have a defensive liability with pretty much everybody that steps on the floor. And people wonder the importance of coaching. Well, you've seen the importance of coaching because we didn't get it, quite frankly. Okay? I don't want to get on this whole but he was a nice guy. Yeah, that's not necessary. I don't think Alvin would like that either because I think it's insulting to him. Like, he, 
the man is a professional. He understands the stakes. He's a grown That's man. Part he's of been in business 30 plus years. This is not, this, he, he, he's, a, he's a grown, grown up. He's okay. He's all right. Dave, if that was the case, there are many a great guys that I know who don't have jobs that should have a job and many a jacks that do have jobs. So being nice is not a criteria of why you lose your job, why you keep your job. Uh, again, it was always piecing of parts that were never working good parts. When you look at the fact that you knew Derek Favors was never a high riser, even when he was in Utah, you know his background. Yes, he could be somewhat physical. He carved out a little space. And quite frankly, it reminds me of the Amir Ashik experiment, so to speak, if you will. When Amir was in Houston, man, there were some nights he was battling like he was a top-notch center. But Dave, you know, when you're a big and you start having injuries and back issues, your career immediately goes. Same thing with Derek Favors. Additionally, I thought Derek could have been more instrumental. They did not it utilize gives- him well. Yeah, come on, Dave, you're taking my shine, man. No, I mean, I agree with you. I think they never put him in high post situations where he could be used as a passer, and they needed that. He is a a very good passer from the top of the key, and I thought that that was part of a lack of ball movement on it. When they talk about, again, spacing is not just a function of shooting. Spacing is a function of movement. And centers who are able to pass from the top of the key have always been effective, whether it's been – Rick Smith's, whether it was Arvita Sabonis, whether it's and, and it's still to this day, the reason that you don't see that's why you could put Draymond Green at center is because on offense, it's not about his shooting to create space. It was nope. about his ability to create for others. To create for others. And he wasn't utilized to his best advantages. His strengths were never, ever shown. He was always where? Stuck underneath the basket on the low block while you have four ants literally just running around. We've talked about this forever. What are you running for? Are you running with the purpose? Is, are, are you saying, well, I'm just running from side to side, but you have no purpose when you're running. You need to have an objective, and there was never one, and it was clear. This, again, is where coaching comes in at. It's your job to put guys in place to be successful for a team to win. You have to know players' tendencies. You have to understand, despite you may not liking to play younger guys, I also need to send a message right now to Lonzo Ball to let him know, Nikhil, get in here and run my point. Despite the mistakes that Nikhil will make at point guard, I'm willing to live with that if it's going to wake Lonzo up to be a better point guard. There was never a level of accountability. There was never a level of understanding what players' strengths and weaknesses were on this basketball team. And even if you do have to band-aid a lot of situations, every team in the NBA suffers with injuries. Every team in the NBA have five good individual parts on their team, and I know we'll get into it later on, but look at Orlando today against the Milwaukee Bucks. If you don't understand who your team is, and again, as you started the show off with, 
identity, the culture. If you don't know who your team is and who your players are to put them in the most effective positions to be successful, you're going to always be off balance. You're going to always be in positions where, oh, man, if we would have just done this or if we would have just done that. You see, the good teams don't say things like, well, if we would have, well, we should have. The good teams and the great teams, they do. Regardless of who's on the floor, they don't make excuses. And we spend too much time as a Pelican's office or, or, or as an organization excusing every little thing. You know, people think it's cliche when they say, next man up. No, that's the mentality you have to have. You can't sulk about it. Yes, he's a part of our team. But in that mindset, do you think the opposing team cares less if Zion Williamson is there? Nope. Their job is to do one thing, come in here and beat us, whatever the case may be, whoever you put on the floor. So just because you have five, five players on the court doesn't mean all five of those players are moving in one construct at the same time for a goal, for a purpose. We never had that. We always had five individual pieces on the court. You never saw any semblance, Dave, of instruction even with players. The, the most instruction we saw actually was during the bubble when J.J. stepped on the court and was showing Zylan Cheatham something. And not only was he showing him something, what else did J.J. do? He walked do? him out onto the court. He walked him out on the court and showed him. That's where coaching comes in at. And you have to know who it is you have on the floor, what your strengths are, and playing to your strengths. We could – when we talk about those lineups, you know, in, in Alvin's five years, Pelicans had 140 different start lineups. 140 different lineups, yeah. The only year they make the playoffs is when they, we had, when they did go under 20. They were 16 that year um, in a number of lineups when they made the playoffs. And, again, I, I have, for historical perspective, the two playoff appearances, the last two Pelicans playoff appearances in my mind – you have to put, give them huge asterisks because both were gifts from the basketball gods. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really. It's the, it's the truth of the matter. The first time they get in with AD, it's because Kevin Durant misses 30 games. If he doesn't miss 30 games, Thunder are walking into the playoffs. Pelicans are Absolutely. Home. We can't backdoor get in, correct. Second time, you get the luckiest split because you're able to close out the season with five straight wins – after you went on a four-game losing streak to take yourself all the way to nine, you went five in a row and get up to six, and other teams are forced to play with that one game in. So, again, that's skinny your teeth type stuff to get in. So we're talking about a, almost a decade-long stretch here of roughly 30 wins a season for this franchise. Mm -hmm. That's bigger than Alvin Gentry. Yes. That's bigger than Monty Williams. Yes, it is. So let's get into to that part. I wasn't, we, yeah, because I, I like to go where it flows. And I had an idea, but now because of where we're going, let's, let's focus on that. Identity and culture. I don't care. Like the first thing, when people would talk about the coaching hire, and you talk about that stuff, and then, yeah, that's, that's the sexy thing to do is talk about who's going to be the next coach and who you want, why you want them. And apparently there are 30 names that David Griffin is considering. Some of those you and I both know are just on the list because it's, it's just what you have to do. You have to put it's what you have to do. relationships with agents, relationships with my, your, the agent call, say, hey, 
put my guy on that list. We ain't really going nowhere, but tell me, tell people that my guy's on the list. We got leverage here with the university. We're trying to work or something like that. So right. two thirds of those are probably invalid. And there are people. One hand see- washing the other hand, looking out for each other. It's part of the business. It's always been that way. Always will be that way. And yes. then there are a, 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 there's also the list of names of people we don't know that will not be mentioned in public because mm-hmm. they can't, just like any other job. Sometimes you go apply for a new job. You say, hey, hey don't, don't, this is. Correct. This is, That's also part of the business <laughs> part of that you keep those quiet as well. It's, a, it's three different bubbles that you're going to have, so to speak. Go ahead with the third one. So now you and I have both been in charge of departments, have had staff work under us. You have to hire people. What is the first thing you do before you do interviews? You have to have a job description. The job description is supposed to be consistent no matter who the candidate is. Right? It can't change. It can't change because this person is no longer with us. It can't change because now we've got a different person in charge. The job description has to be universal across the board because this is our foundation no matter what. This is who we hang our hat on every single day. So quite frankly, you could put your name in the coaching bubble as well as my name as well. It's irrelevant who that particular individual is if they don't understand that job description and what we are trying to accomplish here in the culture and the identity going forward. And then the onus then is on David Griffin, Trajan Langdon, Swin Cash, Gail Benson to decide what are the values of yes, this organization. Is. What is the mission of this organization? Because you cannot have a business without a mission statement and a set of values. And strategic, to this date, strategic planning, yes. your strategic plan. Okay. So if, if I were to ask you today, and you had, like we had this discussion offline, if I were to ask you today, what is the Pelican's identity? And you have asked this question of Alvin Gentry. And we asked it under Dell Dimps. And so far this year from David Griffin, who I'm not willing to throw out at this point, but I will say, I will say this. He sounds more and more like a used car salesman to me the more, t- more I listen to him. Because I have not heard any concrete this, you know, this, um, definition of what it means to work for the New Orleans Pelicans other than you say you want to have consistent winning. Well, that's what everybody wants is consistent winning. That's everybody understood. wants a championship. Yes. But what are you going to do to put it in place to make it come to realization? What are the steps that are being taken? What's the proactive measures that you have set? Now, not that you have to get into every detail or nuance of what you're doing, but even your statements need to be consistent in letting it be known, our next head coach, we want a coach who is going to understand that defense has to be a priority on this basketball team. We have to have a level of accountability on this basketball team. We have to have ball movement on this team. We have to have guys who are going to buy in on this team. These are just four examples of things that need to be 
part of your strategic plan, part of your mission statement, as you alluded to, that is universal regardless of who the coach is. This is our identity and our foundation. The same with the San Antonio Spurs. You know exactly who they are regardless of the players. And when you look at the bigger picture of it all, Dave, you've had different front offices. You've had different players on those teams in, these la in this last decade. There was only one common denominator that was a factor there. And the same thing that was plaguing Monty, which I thought he was building, is the same thing that still plagues this organization to this day. But it's not just on the front office side of it, Dave. It's not just on the players. You see that in-between area of those who work yes. in that Pelicans organization? Yes. I don't mean just the three top executives. No, it's systemic purpose. Top down. You can't say, well, we've got the great players, we've got a great front office, but you see this in-between functionality? It's all getting murky and lost in the mud. That, too, needs to be the exact same goal and agenda as well. Because my coach is the reflection of my values. Go to Miami, Eric Spolstrom. He is a reflection of the values that Pat Riley instituted the day he became the president of Miami Heat 25 years ago. When he left New York, came to Miami, he said, this is what this organization will be. Doesn't matter who the coach has been, whether it's been himself, whether it's been a Van Gundy, whether it's been a Spolstra, there have been values. There have been a, there's a player profile that they look for, that there's certain assets and skills that you are looking for to contribute to your, across the hall, the New Orleans Saints, across all the New Orleans Saints, you will say that you understand that culture there. And no matter what, you, how many players are left from that Super Bowl team? It's only two. There's only two left from the Super Bowl team, but you have a consistency of messaging. You have a consistency between the coach and the front office are on message. Those things are together. There doesn't seem to be from the front office any type of need for, and I'll get into this, I'll say it, additional recognition. Mm -hmm. We do our jobs over here. Mm -hmm. And that's it. But I think that the Pelicans have been I think they've been chasing things rather than building things. Correct. Correct. And you alluded to the fact of Miami, for example. Okay. Miami goes so far as also knowing what type of player they want. And not just from a skill set, right. but from a, a mental. personality, mm -hmm. mental personalities as well. Miami will let you know, yes, we want to run the ball up the floor, but, Everybody who comes here, you need to buy into defense. If you are not going to play defense, you are not going to be on the court for us. Secondly, the other component is this. We want tough guys on our team. You know, we always – And that doesn't mean television. angry. And people, they, they're like, now, not talking, it, it's mental no. toughness, physical toughness. When the game is on the line, your booty don't get tight. A group of, a group of guys – who don't run from adversity, obstacles, and challenges. They embrace them, and they have the toughness. They have the awareness, tough guys, to say, this is how we are going to get over this particular obstacle and do it a certain way. People have asked, 
you know, Udonis Haslam is still on his team, and he never plays. Why? Because Udonis Haslam is an extension of that toughness that he is guiding. The same way when Jawan Howard was there. He was, a, he was one of the guys that was deep on the bench. He wasn't going to play, but he set the tone and the culture of that locker room to pass it down and facilitate to the rest of those guys who were coming in to get them to understand the culture. This is if how they, we do things this, here. And can we say that about the New Orleans Pelicans? No. No. And, and that consistency has to begin at some point. Again, we're talking about a franchise that has not returned the same starting five in 16 years. So at the very least, that shows you that that there have been so many quick fixes, that there has never been a plan. It has been always about trying to win some headlines and then trying to figure it out on the fly. And they have never been able to do that. Band-aids. It's always band-aids. And and, and they – let me also say this because, you know, we have to say this and definitely have to shout out all those who follow us on Twitter who want and who clamor for us doing what we do, talking Pelicans basketball and NBA. So thank you to all those guys and ladies as well that love listening to what it is that we're breaking down and the fact that we're not sugarcoating anything and that we're not kissing up. We're telling you exactly what it is, the basketball insight that you want to know. That being said, we are not, nor do we ever, trash the Pelicans. We're not doing that. You see, this is what coaches do. Coaches spend time telling you the truth serum and breaking it down, letting you know in order for us to win, you need to do X, Y, and Z. These are the problems that are plaguing our basketball team. So we are just giving you the insights of what it is in order for us to be a consistent, effective winner. The consistency level that we have right now is that the Pelicans are just a Band-Aid piece. They're always going to Band-Aid something. That is never a good tone nor a measure of success long term. It's the same profile that has been the Phoenix Suns of this last decade that has been the Sacramento Kings of the last decade and why they just got rid of Vlade Divac. You are trying to emulate the teams. If you say the goal is sustained success, like I said, it has to be something that can supersede coaches. When we talked about the grindhouse, which in Memphis, if you want to talk mm-hmm. about that team, if you, which mirrors the Pelicans in a lot of ways, you know, when they developed – Mark Gasol, when they developed some of those younger guys, when they found the Zach Randolph, you found your Tony Allen, you bring that in and you say, and you develop your Mike Conley, who you drafted. Mark Gasol and that, they became your foundational pieces, your two homegrown, and you filled it out with veteran components and created this identity. Yes. Three coaches through the grindhouse. Lionel mm-hmm. Hollins won with him. Dave Yerger won with him. Dave Yeager won with him. You know what I mean? Like, so you had different coaches come in who were still winning with that personnel, even though they didn't work for each other. They were able to come in and win because there was a tone set by the professionals in the room. Absolutely. Brad Stevens has had to deal with a lot of change in Boston. There's still generally a culture. I would say the Sixers, the failure that they have in taking the step to be championship level is that there is not a culture in Philadelphia. They have not decided what they are as a team. The questions that you have of the teams in the NBA when you're talking about championships right now, 
It wasn't that the Clippers didn't have talent when Chris Paul was there. They didn't have a culture. This Go to this one. Go to this one. Quinn Snyder in Utah. Go ahead. Run it. Yep. Run it. Yeah. So Quinn was, it has been running this system, changing the players. They tweaked it to get what their vision was. And it, it is very similarly aligned with the principles that it started under Frank Layden in the 80s. Same followed essential by, principles. Followed by Jerry Sloan. And the Jerry Sloan, yeah. Same identity. Same principles. Same principles. The offenses may not be the same. They may not be heavy pick and roll like John Stockton. But the ba- basic, the basic principles are protect the rim, whether it was Mark Eaton or whether it's uh, with uh, – now, why with Rudy, Rudy Gobert, Gobert now? Same profile. Same profile. Identity. 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 Your point this guard is, is the key. Are. They go from Stockton to Deron Williams to uh, – I mean, it, that's the development. They, then you go to Ricky Rubio. I mean, they, you, you, they knew, okay, this is the piece you have to have. What's my inside piece? And then they, you, you add you, – they didn't even change for Donovan Mitchell. They are not different in identity None. because they have Donovan Mitchell. None. You still have to run the structure that Quinn Snyder has set. There's room to freelance. You always allow greatness to do what it does. Absolutely. But there is an understanding. And I think it, when you go back to J.J. Reddick's comments, when he said this is the most freedom, freedom can be a great thing. But people forget that the flip side of freedom is responsibility. If I give you freedom, you have to understand what to do with it. And you give a bunch of freedom to a bunch of kids who have no idea. Clueless. You just get, you're bringing chaos into the room. It's just like a bunch of ants just running around. You earn that. You have to earn that. And they did. You have to teach these Mm -hmm. young guys that the, don't get caught up on the word freedom because we are still within a particular construct. Free-flowing doesn't mean just willy-nilly, do whatever you want at any given time. Dave, how many times have we seen players for the Pelicans in the same spot, literally right next to their own players? Yes. Clueless because of the free-flowing offense that they have not been guided in to understand. Dave, we learn as little kids, Hell, Dave, I taught little girls and little boys literally how to balance a floor, making it seem like we had, and I think I meant, I told you the story before. I had a bunch of fifth grade girls, some who had never played basketball before. I got them to understand angles. I got them understanding movement, okay? Call out, it doesn't matter what play you call out. The defense doesn't know what play you're calling out. Just call out anything. But there is no need if I'm passing the ball to the right wing to you for me to go and run to you and go, Dave, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. No, if you're going towards David, you need to go and set a screen or you need to slip the screen and funnel out to the other side. There is never a reason for you to stand next to your teammate just watching. That is what the problem was. Free-flowing and freedom are fantastic Basketball concepts, when you have players on your team who understand how to free flow. And these were not guys who understood that concept. And until you get that, 
And until you have guys who understand the game, even if coach didn't tell me to run over here, my basketball IQ is supposed to tell me to not run over there and stand. Yeah, if I see you over there and you're not going anywhere, then (laughs) I have to immediately change with my direction. What my direction is. Either I'm going back to where I came from to go set a screen. You're still free-flowing. You just go to a different area. But if you cannot read and react, and then this was the other part to me that was a problem. And this, this is a coaching issue. And we're, we're going to take this from all sides because we'll talk about the players and their issues. We're going to talk about the front office. We're going to talk about the coaches. Because the ownership. When yeah. Losing is never one person's baby. And as everybody wants to put failure, and like I say, success has many fathers. Failure is a bastard. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to claim it. So no, sir. The, the failure is on everybody. But on a coaching failure – and Antonio Daniels brought this up, and I thought he made a great point. You got to have some go-to sets when your team is struggling in that freedom. You have to be able to say, this is the play that we know we get points from. We do this. And there were times, like, you know, four, five-minute stretches where that team would be looking at each other like, are you going to drive to the basket? Lost. Are you going to shoot the ball? What? You have got to have a go-to to reset your mind to have success and say, okay, we got a bucket. There was never a level of go-to guarantee. If you, if, if you are lost, it was never a matter of, okay, let's gain control of this situation. Let's go to our bread and butter. What's effective and what we know works. There was never ever in any situation that moment that situation matter of fact during the bubble when Kyle Kuzma came off and pulled up for that jumper when they talked to LeBron after the game LeBron said man we run that play all the time in practice we just figured we could get that because of what they were going to do defensively on me and AD you knew it was a go-to play it was something you worked on and that situational awareness, too, because it's not just you know that play. You know when to use. When to do it. That when, when to utilize it. And, again, there was always moments – well, not moments. It was always flashes of we could be on the brink of something, but it was also too much of the majority of, well, I sure hope Drew is having a good night. Well, I sure hope B.I. has a good night. I sure hope that Zion comes back soon so we can do something. And it was like, guys, regardless of who's on the court, it shouldn't matter. You should have go-to sets that you can score off in action. You never saw any action whatsoever. Again, it was always just five individual parts just running around like ants, not serving a purpose. So you have to have... In this situation, when you call, excuse me, when you call a timeout right before the quarter ends, you have to not come back on the floor, and all of a sudden, they may stop what your initial play was, but you don't have an adjustment to that play being stopped. All of a sudden, that play gets stopped, and then what do you have? Guys just well, now do we do? And we saw that in a lot of in-game situations where the initial action got stopped and the, the guys did not – or they didn't execute 
the full action. The, the full screen action. wouldn't be hard enough. The other person would not come around fast enough. The, the timing was never right in those situations, mentally or physically. You know what that is, Dave? <clears throat> you play like, like you practice. You practice. You play like you practice. I cracked a joke the other day and I posted it on social media saying it reminded me of something my freshman year at Oregon, still to this day, one of my favorite coaches said, Dino, if you accept mediocrity, it's because you're mediocre. If you practice a certain way, it's going to reveal itself in game situations. And in game situations, it looked like the majority of the time, we did not have good practice habits. We never set a good, hard, physical screen. Not one. Not it was one. always, let me attempt it, but I'm going to halfway. And that includes Zion Williamson. That includes Absolutely. Zion Williamson. You and you know what my biggest problem is with him? And I've already said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it. You never see Zion run the floor. You never see him run the four on any side of the ball. He never hustles back on the defensive you side to make an impact, and you're never seeing him blow by and this is anybody. Not, this is not something that we're saying. Like Scouts are observing this. They say, where was the defensive intensity that you saw from Duke when he was at Duke? But I will say this again about his defensive intensity at Duke. It's a lot easier to manufacture that when you are physically dominant over everyone that you over step boys. on the court with. Over boys. I, just because, I mean, you go in, I can give you that kind of energy because I know I'm going to have success. There is nothing that I – I can recover from every failure physically. You, I am strong enough to keep you as a deterrent from coming near me. And the by and large, on any given night, four out of the five guys that I'm playing against have no business being on the court with me. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I don't put a lot of credit in, in that activity. What I look at, there's only, there are only two real skills that translate from, well, three, that, that really translate immediately. You watch somebody. If they don't turn over the ball in college, they probably ain't going to turn it over in the pros. Mm -hmm. If they can rebound at a high rate, they're going to rebound at a high rate. That, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. And if you can shoot, you're, if your baseline is that guy makes shots, people don't forget how to make shots. Now, you can improve, but if you know how to make shots, you're going to know how to make shots. At 50 years old, I'm still shooting up jumpers and I'm still making shots because you never forget how to make shots when that's what you do. But Just like defense. you said, you're talking about tendencies. You're talking about, you, you, you're talking about the willingness, the warningness, and the desire to say, this is what I need to do better. There's never a reason that J.J. Redick should be outrunning a 20-year-old kid up and down the floor. I'm sorry. There's no way in this world. That's just J.J. saying, I'm going to get up the floor. And, yeah, I have no problem being hard on Zion. None whatsoever. And that's the problem is the fact they're acting as if it's a, it's a bad thing to want to push him and to hold him accountable. If you're physically in a position where you can't play, Tell us that and don't dress out. It's just that simple. But if you're going to get out there, you need to be moving your tail. And this is the thing about it. On a fast break, 
we talked about this and I even showed video because I don't like to just talk about the game without breaking it down and showing you why I'm saying what I'm saying. That being said, when the Pels played against uh, San Antonio, there was, you can pretty much guarantee at least one or two times in a game, Lonzo Ball was going to attempt a full court pass to Zion. If Zion leaked out, notice I didn't say sprinted out or beat nobody down the court. He just happened to leak out. Why? Because as a shot goes up, instead of him going in there and get a rebound, he stays on the wing and just gets up the court a little bit. But Eubanks for San Antonio and Coach Popovich and their scouts and their coaches knew this is what they tried to do off of a missed shot, even sometimes off of a make shot. Eubanks for San Antonio was literally behind Zion. He wasn't even running with him. When Zion crossed midcourt, Eubanks was not there yet. He was maybe about five feet behind Zion. He sees Zion going towards the rim. He never looked back one time to see where the basketball was. He never looked back to see where Lonzo was. His mindset was on specifically Zion. Runs up the floor just like a defensive back does. He's waiting for that wide receiver to turn, look at his, to turn his head, his eyes, and put his hands up to catch that ball. Eubanks did the exact same thing as a defensive back would do. And as that ball is in the air, he just jumps. It didn't matter if he caught the ball. It didn't matter if the ball went flying out of bounds. The point of what I'm getting at, there were too many situations where Zion was not in control of the situation because he just does not play hard. Look at how he gets back on defense. If I'm a center, if I'm a power forward and I'm trailing my offensive play, Watch, Zion, too, will also trail instead of running ahead to make them not want to drive to the lane, to make them feel as if, hold on, let's wait till our big get down the floor as well. That was never – he has never to put be, his imprint. He, he has, has to, put to be imprint. the tone setter for the front court. He the has imprint. to because favors, no matter who they put at center uh, with him, and it won't be Jackson Hayes for long stretches – and no. we'll get into that later. But you cannot put the two of them together for any significant amount of minutes. But whoever you pair with Zion Williamson in the backcourt is going to be slower than he is getting down the court. So he has to be the first one from the front court to make it back. Just like it's the responsibility of either Drew or Alonzo as the, at the top of the key to be able to stop the ball from getting into the paint area. So that's Absolutely. those two things are supposed to happen. Zion Williamson, like you said, you rarely saw him, if ever, be the first one back defensively. That, at the very least, that effort – and again, and that's another thing Antonio Daniels said, which I agree with too. That word. Effort is a skill. It is not just something that you can say that you have. It is, a, it is a part of the job requirement of being a professional. The level of effort it takes to be a pro is much different than it is to be a baller. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. Again, people want to mistake, and you used to hear it so much that it used to literally make my skin grow. Well, I think we're working hard. Okay, stop. Please stop saying we're working hard. Working hard and effort are two different concepts. Running from baseline to baseline. Yeah, I'm working hard. I'm running fast. But what is your purpose? 
Why are you running like that? Where is the effort? You don't have to be fast, but you have to be quick. We keep talking about this for the longest time. Dave, just because it reminds me, and I know you've seen it as well, when we're working in corporate America in our offices, and it seems as if every time somebody walks past your door, you're just kind of relaxed, not really stressed about anything, and whatever situation arises, you're able to adjust, adapt, resolve it, and get back to doing what you were doing. As opposed to there are some people in your office who are always frazzled, always running around, always saying, oh my gosh, I'm just so busy. I got so much going on. There's a difference between effort and hard work. You see, the effort says, let me put a plan in place so that way at the end of every day, I'm gonna spend 30 minutes preparing myself for the next part of my day, that being when I get back into that office. I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm done for the day and I'll figure out the rest tomorrow. And then here you go, back to running around like ants and doing all the hard work. Work smart, not hard. And we always are talking about hard work, but we're not talking about effort. We're not talking about the smart things that you have to do because it's the mental aspect also of being effective and working with effort but yet still being effortless. What the two most successful periods, and we'll say the Chris Paul era, and then we'll say the magical stretch of 2018, um, those two things had in common was the guys at the top, the two guys, three guys for that first group in David West and Chris Paul, you're not going to find more professionals you know, more professional players than they are. Those guys who left it all on the court, all of it. And you're not going to find more intelligent ball players than either one of those men. When the Pelicans saw their resurgence and as much for all his faults, the reason they were able to do that is because Rajon Rondo was watching more film than anybody else on that roster and was literally shoving it down the throats of Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, all Nico Meritage, whomever was going to step on the floor that night, if Rondo hadn't sent you some film at two in the morning, the likelihood was that you wasn't going to play. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was that kind of way. And this year we heard a lot about guys staying it later to shoot. We heard a lot about guys coming to work on skills, but we did not hear a lot about guys being in the film room, be it guys being, being in there. Students. Yes. Being students and you mentioned those two guys. You know how I feel about Rajon Rondo. There was never a secret. Even when he was no longer in Boston, I wanted and I had been campaigning for Rajon to be here because of his leadership. And let's go back to something we started off with. Your two smallest guys in stature on your court in Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo were also two of your toughest guys on the court as well again leadership and toughness now that doesn't mean that Rajon Rondo wouldn't fight you no because he would no. like to fight you he yeah, would there are look we know the stories okay. you know him and we, I know him both we know for a fact he that started Rondo, fights he started fights before a game just for the sake of wanting to start a fight because he didn't like to play it which and had he started fights the and there were almost fights within the Pelicans locker room within the Pelicans locker physical room. Physical, physical altercations. Like, people yes. need to understand that. That's why ultimately none of that was going to work. Yes. It just was not 
But part of that too goes back to the culture. You leave a vacuum for a voice to be the leader. Maybe the perfect guy doesn't become the leader. And Rondo is an imperfect leader because he can bristle people and not be the guy who also, and he's also not your best player. So it's one thing for the dude, if Rondo's the guy next to KG or the guy next to Paul Pierce, you, you, you'll eat that criticism because the other guy will be like, all right, all right, come on, come on, come on. I, and they have an all-star stature with them. Mm-hmm. But you didn't have Anthony Davis saying the same things that Rajon Rondo was saying to, so that Rondo could say, I have the back, I have the enforcement of the team's best player. The Correct. team's best player is following Rondo. Rondo. And now, who do the Pelicans follow? That roster, for all the veterans that it has and for all the youth that it has, there is not a natural leader among them. And then you talk about the thing that J.J. Redick said when this is the quietest team he had ever been around. That again tells you, <laughs> when you are, we go back to roster construction. If I have a team that defense is going to be key, then I need people who are good communicators. Oh. And if I don't have good communicators, oh. I need to find more to supplement the, the, the ones that I think are good enough to become that eventually. But the Pelicans can have a team of guys who do not talk from top to bottom. The only guy who you will hear talk is J.J. Reddy. And, David, you and I used to – when people would ask me why did I never like sitting close to – well, I never liked sitting close to the court because I like to sit up a little bit higher above that 100 level where we used to sit at so I can see the action or lack thereof that was going on. I go, additionally, I don't have to sit close to the court to know who's a communicator and who's not. You can tell by the body language and the demonstrative acts. Hand gestures, I'm pointing that guy's coming. Exactly. Hey, 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 on the backside, watch this act. You're not seeing this, your head is, you don't see that out of the Pelicans. I don't need to be sitting right on the court to wonder if they're talking. I can tell that just from the way they're moving on the floor. And that's right. We have a bunch of guys who are quiet. They're not directors. That is great that we have guys on this team that don't go out in the city of New Orleans and don't get in trouble. That's fantastic. You're not supposed to be getting in trouble, quite frankly. All right? That's great. So don't make it seem like that's something that's just well, you know, at least they don't get into trouble. Well, you know what? I would rather have a bunch of guys on my teams that win and go to get in trouble every single night then. Look, the, the Raiders, you know, you know, the Oakland Raiders, any other, Allen Iverson, I mean, there, there are plenty of players through the history. That Michael Jordan had it. You, there's no player in the league, a grown man, who ain't got some stories. You know what I'm right. saying? The Gold Club in Atlanta, we know about Matumbo and you, all those guys. Yes. Yeah. James Worthy got escorted to a game in Houston after getting busted for prostitution, and the police drove him to the game. So let's not worry about good guys and bad guys. Yes. Unless you're committing felonies, then we'll talk about that. But I want basketball players, man. I want professional basketball players who understand, like you said, all those elements that come together to do this and and that – And I think that this group, I don't care that they're all friends. The bond that really comes is it comes from winning. 
winning. That's what when you go through all that stuff. Like when you watch the Bad Boys documentary, and when you watch The Last Dance, it is not the process that the dudes became friends through. Because they all hated Jordan through the process. They hated this for the process. They get tired of Phil talking about these things. They're opening their eyes during this, you know, the, the candles and the seances and stuff. Correct. You don't buy, but on the court when you say, okay, I've been in it with you enough that I trust you, that I know you'll bleed for me, that I'll bleed for you, that I got your back, that we communicate and we win. Now it's champions that call each other and say, we're stuck to, you know, we're, we're to not tied for the next 50 years of our lives. It ain't never a team that went one in 15 in the NFL saying, those are my brothers for life. <laughs> can't wait to get away from those cats. You can't wait to get away from them. If you went 20 and 62 in the NBA, that offseason, you ain't calling those guys. You're thinking about how the hell I'm getting out of town. So losing does not – I don't care if the rookies love each other. I don't care if guys are best friends. They can be friendly, and that's cool. But at the same time, I want you to play – the most important thing is the outcome. Not you, the need, you need to have a voice in the culture – and the identity. You also, you also need to have this. You can't have a coach who is consistently below 500 either. You need to have a coach who has been around a winning championship culture. Now, mind you, people can say, well, Dino, Alvin came from the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, but he wasn't there for the majority of his career. The majority of his career, and I told you this before, coming out of college as a rookie, the same way he was in L.A. when he was with the Clippers, that's the same way Alvin is now. That's who he's been. Not everybody is meant to be a head coach. There are some guys who are just assistant coaches, and that's what they do best and because the, it's – and that's not a knock on anybody. And the fact of the matter, too, is most coaches – it is a very rare club of active coaches who have one one ring mm -hmm. and one dude who you know who people go put on the list with ring who ain't got a job is tyron Lou. so even if you got one that ain't a chance doesn't mean you're gonna have a head coaching job for very long right right and so i mean larry brown was done after he won that title with the pistons he couldn't do anything in new york so i mean it just right. it is there is so much that comes together but i think ultimately what we're saying for alvin to put a kind of a bow on it and I want to get into some quotes that he had on first take after we say this, but to me, I think the thing about Alvin was it required a very specific set of circumstances for him to have success. You had to have veterans who understood what they could and could not do, where he didn't have to babysit them and watch over them, that they already had a structure in place. Because in, in, in Phoenix, the seven seconds or less mentality was in place when he got there. Again, a coach supersedes the guy. You still had the guy who ran it and Steve Nash. You still had your, your key players and Sean Marion. And you, still you still had the culture. You still had what guys you did. Had veterans, all of them veterans. All of them guys who knew, who knew what, their, what their role was and what they had to do. You can bring a Grand Hill off the bench because Grand Hill knows, hey, Everybody respects Grant. Grant comes to work. This dude almost died for the game, and now he's out here busting his ass. I better bust my ass for Grant. So I mean, he didn't have to spend time teaching. He no. didn't have to spend time coaching and teaching. So he but had you give guys, him He had guys really? who were already self-coached, who had guys who already had the work ethic, who knew the game. Here, totally different situation. You keep giving him these young guys who did not 
have that experience. So you have created the situation where you are basically starting your own failure. You started your own failure by not from jump. And that, 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 that story one day, the whole thing about from Dell, from Monty to Dell to Alvin to this, we're gonna, there's going to have to be at some point just a pointed breakdown of how that created just, it, you were destined for failure. Mm-hmm. That whole thing from jump by having a coach in place, then the GM and all these things that went on after have created what you're at today. Yes. The president yes. is a compilation of the events of the past. So yes. you have to remember that in context as well. But I want to get to these two things that Alvin said. Okay, one was that he said, and, and David Griffin said this in his press conference, that the results weren't going to change. Anything in the bubble that was going to happen wasn't going to change this decision most likely. And Alvin, I will correctly say, I will agree with him. If he's, and if Griffin misspoke, we'll give him that opportunity to state it. But, but Alvin said, if that was the case, what the hell you bring me to the bubble for? Basically. He said, mm-hmm. I, I should, why'd you bring me? If you were going to do this, you could have given the job over to, to give it over to any one of those sisters that you did bring. Go right. let them do, if, you're, if you're saying this is not going to change, and once you made the decision I mean, to, to go ahead and basically devalue this anyway, because they, had, they, they didn't put – you can see that they did not put the, – the vested interest was not in winning the games. At, once you made the decision that you were going to put Zion on these three-minute bursts, you've already said you're not winning the games. Right. So why so, bring it? Why did exactly. you it? Here's the thing about it. <clears throat> and this is – and mind you, I saw all that this morning on first take with Stephen A. talking about it was unfair. I ain't worried about that part. I ain't yeah, worried about that part. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But, but I say that to say – you know, so many of these national guys, they don't understand the constructs of what you see and what, well, he's a good friend of ours, do save all that. That's irrelevant to what's going on. I think that was Griff's way of playing both sides of the tennis net, so to speak, if you will, because of the relationship that he's had with Alvin for all these years and not wanting to totally throw him under the bus, but in that same realm by saying, well, you know, we kind of had our minds made up that we were going to move in a different direction, but we wanted to see quite honestly, this is the way I felt about it. If the Pelicans would have gone down in the bubble, because you know, the commissioner in the NBA did everything they could to get the Pels in there because they felt like, okay, Zion has now had enough time to recover, to become healthier. We know he's a draw. People are going to tune in. We want to get our fan base back. We want to get our sponsorship back, so on and so forth. Their goal, and especially when you're posting pictures and videos in the summertime about the best shape that he's ever been in, how cut he is, and so on and so forth, and the guys are just the team. The players are raring to go. They can't wait to get back in there. Here's what I believe, and, 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 and nothing can change my mind. Griff wanted to see if they would play better with more intensity, if they were going to buy in going forward, if they were going to play as if they had been working together in unison and they were going to play with a sense of This is our chance to make some noise when Zion is on the floor, incorporate him 
but don't wait for Zion to be the catalyst for us to go. If the Pelicans would have had a good showing that they are moving in the right direction, Griff could have second-guessed himself and said, okay, we have had certain situations. We're looking better. We're moving in the right direction. Do we really want to break it up now, given the fact that we look like the optics of it all? Guys started playing defense. Guys started becoming more involved offensively. All we did, and quite frankly, we took a step backwards in the bubble. And I believe that sealed Alvin's fate right then and there, is the fact that we were not only losing Dave, but we were getting our behinds torched by the Sacramento Kings, by teams that who, who, who never even use excuses of, well, it's going to take a while for us to learn each other. Because if you notice, every year it was always, well, it's going to take us a while to learn each other. Why nobody else? Again, back to the mediocrity. Why nobody else feels that way? Do you think when John Morant went to Memphis, his mindset was, well, it's going to take me a few years to get adjusted? No. I went in with the mentality of, I'm here to win now. Not down the road, right now. That, I think, officially sealed his fate and that there was a huge disconnect between the players on that court, Alvin, and exactly who we are trying to be. I think there was a disconnect between Griffin and Gentry that kind of wore on over the year over the Zion Hanley. I think Alvin was like, either you make him available or you don't. Or you don't. And and that's what any coach would say. And I don't have a problem with that because if you're going to judge me by my results, which is as a coach, that's all you get. Give me all my Give me all my pieces so that way you can judge me correctly and fairly then. Or at least tell me I don't have him available to me and let me go on and say, okay, well then if I don't have him, again, I talk about the construction of this roster. I need this to take that place. You can get me that because there's no reason the Pelicans couldn't have, to go, couldn't have with all their selections and all these things not gotten to Marcus or Marcus Morris to come and be that guy to be that's three, four that you were looking for a physical three, four to defend and shoot the three for you. Mm-hmm. There's no reason you couldn't do that. There's no reason mm-hmm. you couldn't have called a Joachim Noah who's now sitting on the bench for the Clippers and yeah. said, you can pass from the top of the key. You're a communicator on defense. You're a rim deterrent. I can get 15, 20 minutes out of you on a cheap price. Come yeah. on over. There yeah. was no reason in my mind not to bring Cavell Bigby Williams with you from training camp and say, I know you're on our G League team, but we need some physical presence right here today. <laughs> if it doesn't work out after five or six games, we send you on back to the G League. But you, uh, the two things I knew about Cavell Bigby Williams is the boy can rebound and he can rebound. block a shot. He's going to give you those intangibles that, that, that you need. So and that's you needed essential. a motor guy. And as much as Jackson Hayes is athletic, there's a big difference between being able to run fast again and being an inti- – Jackson Hayes is a guy who can <laughs> run really fast. That does not mean that he is a, a basketball again, mind yet. Working hard and effort are two different but things. I don't even know running if Jackson fast. is working hard. That's the right. thing is I no, think he I'm thinks saying, it's easy. No, and I, was it's saying not in the sense of, I was saying in the sense of just because he can run fast – 
doesn't mean you're running with the purpose. There's never a strategic plan. There's never an I, I day. And I know you're the same way. The Pelicans frustrate you so much until it is taxing to watch a lot of times because you know what good basketball looks like. You know what good coaching looks like because players do certain things when you've had good coaching, not just putting up shots, okay? Why are you putting up shots? You need to get shots that you're going to get in the game and not just stand there and shoot. Run like you're supposed to run and get to those spots. So, again, like you said, there was a disconnect that began during the course of the season as well. Alvin's hands are tired. You know, we've talked about this the last time in the last podcast. Dude, if I'm only getting four minutes a quarter, those four minutes is me just breaking a sweat. I'm just trying to get loose to even get myself going. That's a very difficult position to be in. And I will give, I will give Alvin that is the fact that it makes it hard for you to do what you want and need to do as a coach when you don't have all of your art, all of your artillery to go to war. And we'll say that that's, that was the case under Dell. Cause we know that he asked Dell for things. And again, we don't know why Dell had to turn him down. I'm not going to speak on that. Cause I haven't spoken to Dell, but I will say this. I know for a fact that Alvin has said that he asked the front office for things and he was denied that he asked for certain, not just players, not players, just, but, he but wanted beyond that. Yes. He wanted upgrades yes. to facilities. He asked for those things prior to this. So he asked for players prior to this, that he was turned down on and, Again, when you are developing a player profile, let's look at last season, for example. When you bring in a Julius Randle, who mentally does not think the game, mm-hmm. he does it his way, he will put his shoulder down, and can be effective for Julius mm-hmm. in that regard. The same with Alfred Payton, a kid who has a lot of talent and is a good person, but is not a leader of men. At your point guard spot, he was not a leader of men. So you can't have both of your guards be guys who are not leaders of men. That, so I think that, you know, that identity part and identifying what the player profile is, how do you fit in here? Are you the right person? Talent does not m- equal success. You can have all the talent. Exactly. It, will, it can narrow your margin for failure. but It, it puts you not. in games. It may give you a chance. But at the end of the day, it doesn't equate to success. Because we've seen a lot of teams win 60 games and our friend Avery Johnson can testify to the fact that 60 plus wins are a guarantee of nothing mm-hmm. because you can have the talent, but if your mentality, you run up against to a, te- a team and they did in Golden State that year, that yes. was more mentally tough and yes. took it to them physically as well. Mm-hmm. Embodied oh, by Baron Davis's posterization of Andre Kirilenko. <laughs> but that was the mentality in that series. Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson, Baron Davis, we are going through you. And that's how you can win a series like that with two yes. guys who are not all-stars. With I mean, we're basically a team that had only Baron Davis was the all-star caliber player on that right. roster that year, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can do that because what? You had guys who understood their jobs and came to compete like it was the last day of their career every day. Every single day and night. 
like it meant something to you, like you took it personally. We've talked about that, but the longest as well. Dave, our players just didn't take things personally. No. They had the same level. You never I will say Brandon else. Ingram takes things personally, and I will say J.J. takes things personally. I will say the two of them. Now, Ingram displays it in a different way, but Brandon is the only player I've seen on that team who, when he had a bad game, would say, that's on me. And the Pelicans have not had that out of a, of a guy in a while. And, you know, him having a bad game versus the losing is what more I'm referring to, right. is that you never saw a unified group of guys who were agitated with the losing. When they, they lost, they looked defeated. They didn't look like they got beat. They looked like exactly. they were defeated. They walked off the court defeated. From here, mentally, all the way down to the physical aspect. They looked like it was just the most trying time in, in, in life, okay? With that being said, J.J.'s defeatist look, and this is the one thing you don't want to have, is guys like J.J., who is accustomed to winning, who gets aggravated not just because you're losing, how but the what? But there you go. But how you're losing, and the fact that you're doing nothing about it to correct it and prevent it from going forward. Also, you don't want to have young guys like a Zion, a Nikhil, who you're trying to shape. You don't want their mindset to become journeymen who are accustomed to doing nothing but losing. Because once that mental aspect starts to happen, we remember it. We remember it very well with Tyreek Evans. Tyreek has been a loser everywhere he's went. Now, I'm not putting that all on him. But the teams that he's played for, it's always been. Lose. Exactly. And the same way winning and success can be a great tool, being in cultures that are constantly losing can also be problematic to your psyche. And what did we see? For, but we did see for Tyreek before his whole suspension, he got to Indiana and he turned himself around he turned himself because he was in a winning culture. Culture. So he was able, they defined, they said, you are not a point guard, but we know what you do well. And they didn't they try to make him, him into something that he was not. They said, do what you do within the construct of this offense, but you have to follow along. You ain't going to rock the boat here. And so he had the most efficient year of his career before. Exactly. And I'm glad you went to Indiana because that's what I was getting ready to go to. When he was in Sacramento, losing culture. You come to the Pels, losing culture. Then all of a sudden you go to Indiana and the culture and tone is set of who they are. And you then have to buy in to that particular culture. And in addition to that, that culture also said, Tyreek, this is what we need from you for you to be successful and win and for us to be successful. It's not you running ramshot, doing whatever you want, however you want. That doesn't work here. Either you buy in or we're going to move you as well. It's just that simple. Like it or not. This is the way it has to be. And until that tone is set, and again, I don't want to just say it's got to come from Swin, Trajan, 
Griff and Mrs. Benson. And then you skip all this middle ground and say, well, we have to have these kind of players. No, when we say culture, that means the entire organization. You feel it. You feel it when you walk in, in the when building. You walk no in matter the building. what business it is, you know when you walk into a, an office how people feel about the place that they work. You yep. know that vibe is easy to get. If yes, you spend any time in it amongst people who work somewhere, if they, if they are there to get their check, you know it. You if know they're it. there because they are – Excited about what they're doing, you know it. You know and, it, and and when and, and 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 when they and when you win, you also know how that can become infectious because you just move differently, you speak differently, you carry yourself differently. There's a certain air about you when you're in a winning culture and when you're in a losing culture. When it winning doesn't matter. Yeah, when winning is the expectation, you are not shocked when you do it. And exactly, it's the norm. It's what's it's it's, it's who you are. Again, we're going to keep referring it back to everybody. Hopefully, they're listening. The identity, the culture that even if you do lose two in a row, you still know how to get back onto that winning track again. And it tells we you were, you're not really a winner, too, when your longest win streak of the season is four games. Four games. That's, you're a bad team. You are not a good team if you can't put together any type of – but you got plenty of losing streaks. you got a whole bunch of three-game, four-game, six-game, 13-game, all these losing streaks, but you can't ever what? string together four in a row, five in a row, and you only did four in a row once or twice and, the whole season. And guess what? Those losing streaks is because that's who you are. If you accept mediocrity, it's because you're mediocre. Can't nobody make this up. This is, you can talk about, well, we want to win championships and we want to be successful. That's all fine and dandy. But based upon the losing streaks that you have consistently, you want to talk about consistently? This is the consistent process that you have in place. So whether you like it or not, this is what you are. I could care less about what you think you are and what you want to be, this is what you are right now, like it or not. So the next question becomes, how do you resolve that? How do you change that mindset? How do you change that culture? Well, here's your opportunity. This the is the greatest opportunity you've ever had right now to make the necessary moves that you need. Well, the first thing that I, I think fans need to understand is I think David Griffin, the, 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 the thing that I agreed with most out of what he said was that there are going to be some personnel changes and there needs to, Has be, to be Has personnel to be. changes. That's um, automatically understood. So to me, and I'm going to go through this for next year. These are the players under contract. You know, you have Drew, he's in uh, the last year of his the, the, re, the last year of his deal, and then there's a player option. Absolutely. I would imagine he, he exercises that option. JJ, last year of his deal. Lonzo, he's under contract for $11 million next year, and then you would have to give him a $14.4 million qualifying offer the year after that. You got Zion on his rookie deal, Hayes on his rookie deal, Nikhil on his rookie deal. Melly has one more year, $3.9 million. Hart uh, has three point five for next year, and then – the wild card and all that is Didi, um, Lazada, and you also have 
restricted free agent in Brandon Ingram, who you expect is going to get a, uh, a max deal. And then you have the bird rights to Derek Favors. I say all that to say this. To me, the only untouchables on this roster are Zion, Ingram, Hart, and I say Lonzo for the simple fact that he's untouchable up until the same thing I would say about Drew, up until the All-Star break. If I don't see Lonzo come back and give me what he was giving me during that last 30-game stretch, if he's still afraid to go to the basket and finish, if he is not getting to the line five or six times a game, if he's not doing those things, then I have to start talking about moving on from Lonzo Ball. And add this part to it as well, because you have to. And if he comes back and he's not guiding and leading and directing. Yes. Because that's, that's going to be your hallmark. Dave, even when your shot isn't there, even when you, 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 know, you aren't getting to the line, which quite frankly to me is inexcusable, okay? Because that just means you're not being aggressive and you're not creating the, the, the defense to have to adjust. But for as bad as Rondo was as a scorer from the perimeter, he would get to the rim. He lived in the rim. He lived he would in the rim. He would get to the free throw line. And if nothing else, he was going to direct and lead and guide. So you need to see those things from him. I agree with Zion's untouchable. Josh Hart gave you a lot. Brandon, most certainly. And quite frankly, that's it. You know, after that, that's it. Hey, I'm open, brother. Everybody else is expendable for the right deal. Everybody. And, 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 And maybe after having a conversation with JJ, but that conversation would have to come later because I know JJ is going to want to see who are we bringing in for me to determine if I want to be that six guy coming off that bench anyway. But because I'm not even – really, I'm not even concerned about that because if the coach that I hire comes in and says, hey, uh, JJ ain't working for me, then you've got to let that guy do his thing. let that go too. Exactly. And exactly. It, it, like not, not anything against JJ, but if I'm saying, at all. okay, you've given me this vision. This is your expectation for this year. Well, then this is what I want my roster to look like, and these are the assets that we have to make that happen – at the very least, if they ask for it, then you have to pursue it. Because otherwise, why are you bringing that person in if it is as not coach, to have that input? Because you can't coach, just keep giving me players and say, make something out of this. That are, carry over, that are carryover from previous regimes that couldn't get it done. If you want me to do what it is that you need, give me that autonomy in order to say, these are the pieces or the style of players that we need in order to do this and accomplish the big picture of what it is that you want. So that's the reason why I technically, and and notice I was hesitant even when I said, JJ, everybody else other than the three that I mentioned, bro, everybody can be moved, quite frankly. Because I'm looking for a certain particular tone, a certain particular, matter of fact, as as I said that right now, I just look up and 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 I see OKC, of course, right now, with Houston, given the fact that Chris Paul didn't want to be there. And, of course, this has been his best season ever after even being in L.A. But people don't understand the reason why. But, again, this is what you need on this team. Again, we need players who are not just physically tough but mentally strong. You need players who are accustomed 
to winning and adapting to a level of tenacity in defense because we both know very well, Dave, the playoffs are all about what? My mm-hmm. defense and my toughness in stopping opposing teams. It may not be about defense all season long. You may have sporadic moments where you play stretches of great defense, and that'll get you through the season. But to be a playoff team and a contender, not a pretender, you have to be able to defend. You have to set a tone right out the gate. So regardless of who that coach is that you bring in, just like you said, and you went through the list of guys that are on contract that are coming back and so on and so forth, there has to be that level of toughness and there has to be that level of guys who are going to buy in to this is the culture. You now are setting the tone for the next five years, the next 10 years down the road. Outside of Miami and Boston and the construction of those teams. And even with Boston, you still have to say that they drafted Rondo as in that group, but that, you know, and Pierce was a homegrown product. So your core bringing in those other two pieces, you had a core of homegrown folks and Kendrick was basically their baby too, because he was brought over now Jefferson deal too. So, I mean, that that's their group. They had their foundation. When you look at the teams now that are in championship contention or have been recent champions, Golden State decided at some point they had to choose between Monte Ellis and Steph Curry when Steph Curry was underachieving. Remember people talking about Steph Curry was going to be a bust. His ankles are never going to be right. They made the choice. And they said, And Monte was was playing at an extremely high clip. So you end up and they say, okay, our core, and they made that decision. Everybody else is flexible, but our core is Clay, Steph, Draymond. Mm-hmm. Those are the, going to be the constants. You got lucky you added it to Kevin Durant. It just happens that you did that way. But you right. were able to get to a finals at the very least without a Kevin Durant. You were able to do perform at a high level at that because you decided on what your pieces were. The mm-hmm. Milwaukee Bucks, the best team in the league this year, Chris Middleton and Giannis are the Giannis. only two left from Giannis's rookie year because at some point they decided – you can't build around these other guys, the Brandon Jennings. These, these, No, it's Chris and it's Giannis and everybody else fits around them. So the Pelicans have to make that decision. That's why you can't say, I'm in love with Jackson Hayes. Likelihood is Jackson ain't going to be here long enough. Correct. Likelihood is that McKeel is not going to be here long enough because you cannot raise up six and seven rookies at a time. It's not possible for winning basketball. It's not part of the construct for success. It's just not have to let these some of these kids are gone before you even know it so don't fall in love with them because there's no way the pelicans are going to be a contender in the next two or three years if all those guys are still on this roster they should all be developed into pieces that can be either they're going now or they're going in the very near future as assets to get you something that you need more and let's look at this also and let's be honest about it we don't even know we say, we hope, we want, it's, 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 it's part of their plan, but we don't even know if Zion is going to be that main cog in the wheel because of his health issues, because of his body issues. And mind you, that's not a knock on him, but we don't even know if he's going to be that vocal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We don't know that. So, yeah, right now, he is what 
we're looking towards. But, hell, we were looking toward that this whole season. In what, 30 games? No, less than 20, what, 22 games. 22. And then you okay. had a losing record in those 22 games with him, 10 and 12 with him. And a lot of that has to do because they couldn't defend worth a damn. When you give up, like I said, I, this number to me is just absurd. When you give up 120 points, 40 times in 72 games, 40 times in 72 games, 55% of the time. Do the math. There you, you go. up. 120 points and you only won three of those games where does it start what do we say in football the running game travels you could always run the football and you can always defend in basketball your shooting may not work every night but you can always get in somebody's grill i can defend and i can rebound every single night and that part has nothing to do with coaching the will to box out which this team refuses to refuses do, has to not do. done for years. That is and a that, mentality just to put defense, your ass on somebody. That defense and rebounding, as we know, can create your offense and give you offensive opportunities. You want Defending? transition? Play defense. <laughs> you get out early offense. You get out and you push the attack. If you can't defend anybody, that's your Achilles heel. And everybody who plays the Pelicans know this. People, Dave, you have not seen one team afraid nor intimidated by anybody on the New Orleans Pelicans roster. Nobody. Okay. Use your example for Oklahoma City. Talent for talent. You go down, up, and down that roster. Who has more talent, the Pelicans or the, the Thunder? Pelicans. Hands down, the Pelicans, Pelicans have more talent. But what do you have? Because Dennis Schroeder was a guy who people were talking about as a, as a guy who wasn't going to live up to the expectations that he had as a lottery pick. Mm-hmm. Shea Gilgis Alexander's second year, right? Second year mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Steven Adams has never been an all-star. Nope. Danilo, Danilo Gallinari, Gallinari has never been an all-star. Nerlens Noel. Never been an all-star. You can go down the list. Bunch of guys who are what, though? professionals i know what i'm getting out of danilo gallinari every night i know what i'm getting out of steven adams every night he may not put up the numbers every night but i know what adams is going to do for me his effort is going to be consistent he will set the screens he will do the role he's going to dominate that paint area he's going to own every rebound you know what you're going to get from cp3 every single night he's going to direct he's going to lead he's going to put his teammates in a position to be successful He's going to always have them in a game. Here's the other thing that they do. They're going to make the adjustments. This is Billy Donovan's best coaching job as well because he's actually been able to coach. When you had KD and Russ, come on, you got to let superstars be superstars. But he's actually been able to just coach now and make the necessary adjustments, and guys are understanding their role. And he knew what he didn't have. He knew what he didn't have after all the years in Oklahoma City of running up-tempo. He knew he could not do that with this group. Mm -hmm. He had to defend first. Yep. And they are one of the best defensive teams. Best defensive teams in the league. And so you put it in that situation where you say, we're going to defend. And in the last five minutes, I trust Chris Paul to make good decisions. I trust my veterans to do what they're supposed to do in the last five minutes. And execute. More games in the last minute than the Pelicans. Execute. Execute. Late game situation 
late game decision making. I am assured that he's not going to turn the ball over. I'm assured that this player knows exactly where he needs to be when the game is on the line and Chris is driving one particular way. Understanding tendencies, decision making. And again, when you looked at the construct of what we have for the New Orleans Pelicans, bro, it just wasn't there. And people have to accept that. Don't let your wanting desire make you foolhardy into thinking you had something more because you didn't. You just didn't. No, and I think that, you know, the, the, the big part of that too is that they – they try to serve two masters. You try to be a developmental team and you try to be a contending team at the same time. And you cannot do those things. Those Mm -hmm. things are antithetical to each other. So when you say I'm bringing in all this young talent, either you, what you should have done is say, like I said, that's, that's the part that's unfair to Alvin right there is if you told him, if you say we're bringing in kids, you have the youngest roster in the league. Well then you either tell a man, the expectation is not that we're going to make the playoffs and we need right. to find a young coach who can take these L's. Exactly. Or you tell Alvin, this is a free pass year, and next year we have – because those are the only two options. That's the only two options if you're trying to do what the Pelicans did. Because when you have that many rookies and young players in their second and third year – and remember, we talk about Alonzo Ball that had never played more than 50 games in any season coming into this year. You're talking about a Brandon Ingram who's coming off of almost an injury that people at one point thought was going to end his career. And we're talking about Josh Hart, who was also injured last season. And all these guys who were either in roles that they were not familiar with and come in to do these things, and you're going to tell me we're going to kick ass out the gate, and then a month into the season you've had a 13-game losing streak, and you're still telling me, well, we're, we're counting on the back end when it's easy to get us into the playoffs. Which is, not a, which is not a winning culture or a winning recipe. If you're banking, again, here we go, with the Band-Aid. Well, let's just get here for us to do this. No, winners don't think that way. Your mentality is entirely different as a winner. And if it was your intentions of making sure that you're going the younger route and the development route, you also needed to be fair to Alvin in knowing his strengths and weaknesses, knowing that's not what he is good at cultivating. So with that being said, Alvin, in fairness to you, that's the way you handle that situation. And he would have understood it. Boom. End of last season, he was prepared for whatever came. He said, if it's time, it's time. They got to pay me anyway. But But when you're getting conflicting messages, you're always, you're always out of balance. You can't. You can't win that way. No. No. And, and I, I think that, that, that David Griffin, Griffin, and the biggest fault that I have with him this year is I feel like Griffin, and I say used car salesman, and I hope that's not too mean, but what I'm saying that in this regard is you can't be everything to everybody. And that's what he's tried to be this year is be New Orleans' friend, be the spokesperson, which I don't see that being done by any other president of a team in the league. I have, I, I have some kind of, I feel some no. kind of way about seeing the president of the team all the time. That's bothersome to me. You know what I mean? Like not in situations where it's newsworthy, but I'm always seeing you. You're always making sure that I'm aware of you. Let and me I have, pamper you. That's, let that's me pamper very, you and let me bothersome. stroke you. 
to make sure that everything is all right and everybody remains hopeful and let me pacify you. Let me no, no, I, didn't I don't need, need all that. Yeah, I, didn't I don't need, need any of I that. Agree. I don't need to know that he's sitting courtside and watching the game. I don't need to see his him standing in the tunnel because none of that tells me that he's doing the job any better. It doesn't mean anything. I didn't hear a Jerry West interview while he was president of the Lakers. You don't hear Jerry. You know, I didn't hear <laughs> interviews when he was president of the Grizzlies. I mean, I'm, I, it's Jerry. But, I mean, still, Pat Riley. How many times do you hear Pat Riley speak over the course of the Hardly, years? hardly ever. Maybe. You signed Majiri up at, once. Uh, Masai Ujiri up in Toronto. How many times you see him size? Never. So, so to Never. me, in San Antonio, I, in R. San Antonio, RC Buford. When was the last Buford. time you saw? I don't know what RC Buford's voice sounds like. I couldn't describe him if he was standing next to me. It's the like, only time, the only time in Golden State you heard them speak was when KD wound up re-injuring his Achilles, and they were on there from an emotional standpoint. You don't hear from them. Even with Boston and Danny Ainge, you don't hear from them. In Utah, you don't hear from them. It's not necessary. We can understand what you're trying to accomplish without you feeling as if you have to be in front of the camera and vilify every single situation and always having to communicate all the time. It's not and if necessary. they had done this better, he wouldn't have had to do it. It's the same thing. You go back to the Zion injury where you're telling me, okay, Zion sprained his knee. We got to check this out. And then two days later, he's had surgery, and we didn't know till after it was done. After, yeah. That, that's, that's a misplay on your part because now you, you didn't want to tell us because you knew it was the first game of the season coming up, and you wanted people to still be really excited. So be you hopeful. wait till the eve of the game and be like, well, he's, he just had surgery. Sorry, we got to move on. So it, you, you did that because you wanted those tickets sold up for the opener. You wanted to make sure it was still he's a sellout. Had, he's had missteps as well. Yeah, and I'd say the, the, and that's I think okay. taking Jackson oh. Hayes over Cam Reddish will prove to be a mistake in my mind, I think, because I don't think you have the time to wait for Jackson Hayes to mature. Um, as a player, I think Jackson Hayes is close, most closely uh, to a JaVale McGee or a Hassan Whiteside and that it's going to take him a while mentally for the game to slow down. And I don't need that from him at this stage. I don't need that in my organization at this stage. I don't have a babysitter for him. And David, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't we technically already have a Jackson Hayes in? He's in Phoenix now. Oh, <laughs> Chick Diallo, same guy. Same guy. Same guy. Same guy. Same guy. Except Jackson probably fouls more. That might be the only thing. So, again, just like you said, if we were going to, you know, if we were going to do that, why not keep? Check for one million. Check. Exactly. One million. Keep him here, who's already gotten some experience on the professional level as opposed to let's redo the same thing all over again with a different kind of play, what we think is a different player. It's the exact same thing. The other thing was, and I don't know if you know, and I don't know if you get it, I don't know if you had a chance to watch Phoenix at all in the bubble. Credit to Monty, who has utilized Check better than what he did when he was here. He's utilized him better. Again, this is where knowing your coaching ability and strength and weaknesses came in at, all right? I say that 
as we as you start off this particular area right here of come this offseason, everybody except those three, talk to me. Yep. Work with me. Because I'm, I'm going to assess their value. Every last one of them, I want to know what they're worth around the league. Every one yep. of those guys, I want to know. Because there's nobody on that team that from this year that I'll look at and say that, I mean, look, Nikhil's, yeah, he's fine. But we know it takes point guards a long time to develop. And if you're trying to either have Lonzo or Nikhil, you've, already, you've invested way more money in Lonzo. You have to see if he works. So Nikhil is not going to get 20 minutes of, uh, on, uh, on the floor every night. So he probably would have been better served in the G League this year getting actual run and having a veteran point guard behind Lonzo and Drew. But then again, mm-hmm. we know with this franchise – how many times have they had a dependable backup point guard? These are the things that don't come from the court, from the coach. That's the front office's job Offices. to put you in position Absolutely. to bring in the right players. And you never had a veteran point guard when you knew you had a second-year guy. Basically, it, uh, you know, because Lonzo, his total games was about one season's worth of games. So he's about a second-year guy running the point no matter how talented he is. And you don't have a single a uh, steady primary ball handler behind him because you know that ain't true. You know that ain't JJ. You know that ain't Etwan. You know that ain't Josh Hart. So why, again, your roster construction is faulty. You go on the wings. The Pelicans got burned on the wings. They're the worst team in the league at defending wings. You never went out and got another 6'7", 6'8", guy who could do something on the wing and defend somebody. I don't understand that. And then you're mad. You come back and you say, Brandon Ingram's a 6'9", two guard. Well, he wouldn't have had to play the four <laughs> if you would have had another person at the four. Another viable person at the position. And, yes. he's, and again, if you want to talk about Derek Favors and assessing him for, for things that he didn't do, we also have to look at how many times he was put into bad positions by the other Absolutely. forwards and guards where he had to jump out to try to stop something and you've left the back end open because those other guys don't recover. That's one of the first things that we started talking about today was assessing and knowing your players of what they can and what they can't do best. And you put him in very inauspicious positions too many times. You left him alone on an island where you knew that's not what he was good at. And speaking of Lonzo, just so you know, words that I'm hearing around the league, of course, already, Lonzo's stock after this bubble, yeah, yeah, has crashed. Yeah, people talk. I mean, like, so, yeah, people so talking about today, nobody even wants him because he's not a leader that you need. His decision making is piss poor, Dave, and he won't he's, be aggressive enough to attack the rim. You cannot be in this in any league in any point guard. There ain't a single one, you know, and it doesn't matter the era you're in. If you cannot finish at the rim as a point guard, whether it's Allen Iverson, whether it's – look, Steph Curry is an elite finisher at say, the rim. Chris let's Paul. go with the guys we look at now. Russell, Steph, despite Dame Lillard shooting from where he shoots from, he still will attack the paint. CP3 will attack the paint. Uh, uh, a Ricky Rubio will attack the paint. Uh, Eric Bledsoe will attack the paint. A uh, Kyle Lowry will attack the paint. We're talking about point Red guards. Van will attack the paint. So you have to do that. It's a must. There's no if and buts around it. 
Okay. I mean, and, 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 and that's the frustration level. And again, that's where the assessment that Griff is going to have to be able to make those hard decisions now. Like it or not, this is not about being friendly here. These are the decisions that have to be made. I would, I, you know, I would like him if he was to come on and say, listen, we made X, Y, Z mistakes. I made this from my particular area. I didn't bring in the guys that we need, but here's what we're going to do, rectify it. And then not even make it a point to constantly get back in front of the cameras all summer long. Don't need I don't, the Sims. Don't, don't babysit don't babysit me. Don't do any of that. It's not necessary. It's not needed. Here's where we go from this direction going forward, bro. Yeah, don't sell me, man. Like, it's just just right. show me. And, right. and, and as long as you are confident in your plan, that's how it should work anyway. You know, mm -hmm. I can take – I can take – I don't. you know, you don't have to be patient, but I also understand construction. And if I'm seeing progress yes. in that construction or if I'm just seeing – you rearrange this stuff and hoping that it clicks, which is what I think is what the Philadelphia thing ended up being. You know, uh, well, we're going to tank and get all these picks. Well, they've, they've got something that clicks, but it'll never be what they want. They're not going to get a championship with Ben Simmons what and Joel Embiid right. on the court together because they don't fit. You know what I'm saying? They don't fit each other. They don't Again, fit. like we started off talking about, five individual parts – just because it looks good and just because they're good players don't mean that they're working together in conjunction for that one common goal and they feed off of each other. And essential that they have to understand is that you can't just have five individuals on the court looking to the other person to do what? To do what? To, uh, so do I go or do you go? Wait, wait, no, I, wait, no, you go ahead. Well, I'll go used to no. You need to know exactly what it is you're doing, the mechanisms that you're going about it in. You need to set the standard and the foundation, which is all that we're trying to get everybody to understand today, is that regardless of whatever coach it is that comes in, there are simple foundational aspects that you have to have across the board. You can't come in here and say, well, we're going to win the pace and we're going to up-tempo. That is an immediate red flag for me right there. It just is. Because that's not a philosophy. That's not a mentality. You know, like, the great coaches adapt to the situation. Situations. But their yes. principles don't change. Their fundamental, mm -hmm. the fundamentals of who they are don't change. Because, yes, again, what it, the, the team that, that Miami was, you know, when they won the title with Shaq and Dwayne Wade, is not the way that they played, obviously, with LeBron, Bosh, and, 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 and Wade. And so Wade, you had to right. change it. And then when they're gone, the Heat were bad for a couple of years. But what did they do? They go find the players, again. That fit their them. construct. And they're not; they're still not playing the system that they played with, with the, what they played before. But the fundamentals of defense, toughness, cooperation, communication—this is who we are. Rebounding those essential fundamental. We win those things because you know, on a night-to-night -night basis, the basics are: I win the glass, I would win the turnovers, and I win the free throws. I'm going to win. Those three things will, are the most indicative. And numbers can tell you and reflect after the fact. 
but beforehand, going in, you know your number. We have to get to the line 17, 20 times tonight mm-hmm. to win this game. Absolutely. We know, and, and I don't, and, and the one thing about three point shooting to me is yeah, there may be a night where you got to take 43s. But the Golden State Warriors, again, and the teams that are successful, part of the reason that Lonzo's stock goes down is not because of his three point shooting, which was a career high, it's because he oh, can't make a mid range shot. You, there you can't go. come off a pick and roll and just put put it up in the mid range. So if you don't have those other skills, that Plan B, if and if I know A, you're not. If I go under the screen, you ain't gonna shoot. And if I go over the screen, you're not gonna drive. Well, then what are you gonna do? Kick it back exactly. out and start it all over. So yeah, it, it's like you said. It has nothing to do with his three point shooting. That's irrelevant in what it is that you're looking for out of him. He doesn't go to the rim he doesn't shoot mid-range shots his decision making as a point guard is poor in the half court he gets very casual with the basketball that's what creates his stock going down and i love lonzo i think he has all the potential like when i see him i see jason kidd to a large degree but i don't see the one thing that kid had was that motor that did not quit and kid has his flaws as a player, but the one thing was at his peak, kid had control of that offense from top down. And you look at the similarities between what Byron Scott created in New Jersey with kid, Kenyon Martin as your strong wing, mm-hmm. your point guard and your strong wing who's running the floor. But what was the difference? Kenyon Martin was physically tough. Physically. Yes. You ain't going to drive exactly. the paint on Kenyon Martin. And Zion Williamson, if you're going to have Zion and Zoe be the next Kemp and Peyton or the next kid and, and, and that, or you, however that uh, Shaq and Kobe, however you want to try to do this inside-outside thing comparison, until the two of them decide, because all those other groups that we're talking about, Gary Payton was a dog on defense, defensive player of the year. Sean Kemp was a shot blocker and intimidator around the rim. If you're talking about, like I said, Kenyon Martin, Kenyon Martin. Was a dude who's got, who defended and was able to do that and build a 15-year career out of being physical and tough around the rim and finishing with authority and anger. And was certainly, enough, you know, that and kid was a guy who was going to get steals and was going to be physical, was going to rebound at a I high rate. Ready, I was just getting ready to mention that. The other thing about Jay Kidd was that he was a rebounder. Get it and go. So, and what also did kid do? The, it's not the initial, it's the secondary break. Secondary, absolutely. Can you run the secondary break? And the Pelicans are not great at running a secondary break. And they Basketball are because IQ. They are not great at the, when things didn't go how we practiced that, okay, now what? And that comes from, like you said, it's, it's that preparation, it's that watching film, it's that knowing, that, knowing how to play basketball. And, and part of that is, I can't communicate to you every move on the floor. I can't communicate to you every reaction as a coach. You as a player at some point have to start figuring out yeah. that if you got to break that thing off at, <laughs> at right in front of, you know, it's not that path to the basket. I got to come here. Or if he's not stepping out, then I, that means that this shot is open. Yeah. You have to be prepared for those things. And they are not prepared for the other option. They are, they're only prepared for the one. After A gets broken down, they're lost. And Zion is – and, again, to, to, to not put, you know, 
to not put the criticism, and I think you have to. And I think that's where we made the mistake with Anthony Davis in New Orleans was we refused to criticize Anthony Davis publicly and say, these are the shortcomings in your game. Get better. Yeah. That's what we have to do with Zion starting his rookie year is continuously say, dude, you have to get better at this because those were the things that motivated every great player is knowing that I got to go back this summer and come back better than I was last year because there's somebody out there talking about my game. You are now at a different level. It is no longer you can just dominate anybody when you want because you're physically stronger and more talented than they are like you were in high school and in college. It's a whole nother ball game. The NBA is actually a thinking game as well. Guys learn tendencies. They learn weaknesses. They learn how to put you in, in, they learn how to put you in awkward positions where you're uncomfortable for them to take advantages of that. And until he recognizes that you and I talked about it all the time when it came to AD, I don't know why he decides that he wants to be a guard. Even when we have shown you the numbers of how, of how advantageous it is for you as a player, how be beneficial it is for your team, dude, if you do this and this, what does that do? That gets him going talk to Dell for Dell to have to make a move for money to go. And then what happens two years later, he decides he wants out of new Orleans, but you're upset because money was holding you accountable because Monty was telling you and showing you, dude, we're more effective and we win when you do this. And we see the, for as talented as AD skill sets is for a big man his size, we see, we know, we know, you and I know very well when AD is going to start dropping off as he always does. And what and did the you see in the he, bubble in those first, in those eight games? The more he drops off. The more he drops off, the further he shoots it from out. They and this year he shot more jump shots than he ever had in his career, and his offensive efficiency was lower. Look, two years ago was the peak so far for him mm-hmm. when he was the top three MVP candidate. Yep. If he, if this is my thing that I say, and we don't want to make this AD conversation, but I'm going to say this because of what he's done in the bubble. And I've talked to um, folks who cover the Lakers about this because they asked me, you know, what are your perceptions and why is it this way right now? That's how you, anytime you get physical with him, he's going to do one thing. Oh, he's going to disappear. And B, he has never been the favorite in his life. He has never been the favorite. You go back to, an article that Rick Buecher wrote in 2015 where he, he met with every coach that Anthony Davis had from youth league through college. And they all said the same thing about him. They said, he doesn't know he's a star. He don't get it. He doesn't get it. There's a reason you only win 11 games in your final two years, 14 games in your final two years of high school when you're supposed to be the number one ranked player in the country. That yeah. happened to other number one ranked players in the country. I've yes. never seen that before in the history of number one ranked players in the country. But when your dad protects you from conflict, from conflict and from people who will beat on you. And the title of that article was Anthony Davis can be the best player in the NBA, but does he want to want to? And be. I would say that is Absolutely. the same question you ask it five years later. Absolutely. And that means there has been no growth whatsoever he and Giannis are what and what basically in age right absolutely Anthony's about a year older than Giannis I think two years old yeah two old two years 
Giannis is past Anthony Davis. Giannis's right? name, and, and, and not and not only is Giannis's name included every year in the MVP, and you've seen the continual growth in Giannis, but additionally, Giannis knows he's a superstar, owns it, and has taken charge of it in every shape, form, and fashion. Even the other night in the bubble, quite frankly, I enjoyed seeing him headbutt in the game. I didn't have an issue with it. Should have been. I, I mean, you give him a flagrant, you move on. I didn't think it was a suspension. Absolutely not. But, but that. I, I mean, say that. But I say that to say this, Dave. He's showing an air of toughness. He's pissed off. He's showing a. He's showing an air of I've been in the weight room. I'm that dude. I'm that dog. I have now added to my game. I'm not just going to stand out here and shoot jumpers because I'm still going to go to the rim. But I also ain't taking nothing off of nobody. I got an attitude problem now. He doesn't – he, he he's not concerned about having any friends around the NBA. No. He got those his brothers and his win. teammates. That's it. Those are the things that – those are winning. There's a reason why they've had the best record. All right? Despite what happened today – there's a reason why. And what happened today with Orlando was just because them playing willy-nilly, balls were dropping, but they went to a zone as well. And he had to try to figure it out. But that being said, Giannis has easily, easily, and we've seen that with him being the MVP. Surpassed. Two years in a row now. He's going to win it this surpassed. year. So be two in a yes. Row. We have easily seen him surpass AD because Giannis has taken it by the – by the horns, and decided he realized he Put was a superstar. On me. There you go. Me. There and you if go. You're not willing to be that guy, then you, at some point, Damian Lillard may never win a championship. He might not ever. But, but at the very least, in his statements about Paul George and Pat Beverly, when he said, "Paul George, <laughs> you keep running and trying to find the right situation, and you don't, you're scared of the grind." What right. he is saying is, I have taken ownership of my team. Of my team. Portland exactly. is my team. This is how yep. it's going to go down. It's going to live yep. and die on my shoulders one way or another. Zion Williamson has to be that guy at the, as the number one pick, as the guy that's supposed to embody whatever won't bow down is supposed to mean for the years to come. Then Zion Williamson has to say, the burden is mine. I embrace it. I want it. And everybody else you are on board with me or you getting the hell out the way too. And that includes whoever the next coach is. Because if you're not about winning the way I am, then you become the Doug Collins in my story. You become the Stan Van Gundy in my story. You become the guy who was there before I got great. Because that's what you're going to have to demand out of Zion Williamson. And that's what the organization has to demand out of him as well. He has to own it, demand it, be accountable for it, and accept all that goes along with it, but more than anything else. And really, Dave, when you look at it, this podcast today that you put together as always, which is phenomenal, bro, it's really centered around a couple of specifics. The level of accountability, a level of identity and culture, Mm -hmm. a level of owning it going forward that's all this has all been about owning it demanding it accountability and literally creating the identity and culture that you want to be 
Zion, I don't really care right now. And, dude, you know, I've said it from day one. I don't really care if people got upset with me. Well, you got to understand he's a 20-year-old kid. Man, miss me with all of that. I've been a 20-year-old basketball player. And there was nothing on God's green earth that wouldn't prevent me from winning every drill, from setting the tone, from running, from, from, from playing with effort. It didn't matter. I didn't want nobody making any excuses for me. Nobody. This is the time. Who you're going to be is going to be set now going forward. There's and, and, no if and buts about it. And the organization needs to be honest about what is actually going on with this health. Cause you can't tell me that again, it just doesn't make sense to me that, okay, well, this was the plan for everybody to ramp up and do these things. If he had been with you the entire time, if he had the exemption and he was with you the entire time and he goes through the camp for the most, you know, you, before you come to the bubble, he's been through all of those things. You say he looks great. You say he's gotten, Zion saying, I'm almost back to what I was jumping like before. I'm um, all those things. And you see none of that in Orlando. You don't if see you any hit, explosion. You don't see any intensity. If he hit all those measurables, if he hit all those measurables, Dave, there is no way in 13 days you're going to go from here to there in 13 days from being out of the bubble. There is no way. It's impossible. So, so, so again, that's what I'm saying. So there has to be some level of honesty with the public because if, if, you know, if, if there's something deeper there, again, why did you let him play at all? If, they, if you had that concern, if you knew the critical nature of these games is that you had to start off winning. You could not come out and blow game one, game two. You had to win. You had to start and jump out. As we always do. I'm going to give you Zion. He's going to miss this game, and then I'm going to give you three minutes per quarter in this next one. Well, you've already told me. You've already told me now. And that's the crazy thing about it, Dave. Whether it was a full season, whether it was an eight-game season in the bubble, the MO has been they start the exact same way year in and year out mm-hmm. consistently. Mm-hmm. That, that was just amazing to me. Like you cannot start on a positive note at all within the Ever. first 20 games. Ever. Nope. Dave. So one of them. I mean, and again, it's over different coaches, different players, different regimes now. Every when was the last time the Pelicans got off to a 500 start after 20 games? When was the last time? When was the last I time? I can't. I can't even. Re, I can't even honestly recall, except maybe going back to when Chris and and and, and David were here. I mean, that's just far back. Because it definitely wasn't in these past 10, 12 years. It most certainly was not. So again, what we are trying to convey to everybody, and what, and what I've been staunch about. Your identity and culture is not just on the top and not just on the court, but it is a function of your strategic plan and your culture overall, across the board, top to bottom. Because, of course, you know, you and I being in that locker room, being in the practice facility, we can feel certain things and we see the way guys move in the locker room. Not only there, but we can see and feel the way the organization 
moves just in the lack thereof communication and transparency or wanting to control and dictate. That's not the way you win, okay? And then from the top, you can't have excuse after excuse and then change it to this and then change it to that for it to fit your narrative. No, it needs to be the consistent theme, top to bottom. Whoever the guy is that comes down here and coaches, whether it be one of the 30 or one of the 50 guys who are serious or not serious, whether it be a Jay Wright coming out of college, whether it be a Sam Cassell, all of that is irrelevant if those foundational elements that you need to set your team and organization for going forward are not there. Everything else is just rhetoric. If it's rhetoric. Again, the Knicks are the perfect example of that because they have had Hall of Fame coaches come there mm. and fail disastrously. And they didn't forget how to coach. No, not at all. But you have a bad organization. With, and so, yes, you can make the wrong hire, but the success of a coach is ultimately based on luck and timing because the organization is the key. You being the guy at the right time and being the one who communicates that to them, like Rick Carlisle wasn't the right guy for the Pistons. He got him right up to the edge. Larry Brown got him over the top. Right. It's, it's, it ain't on Rick Carlisle because he goes down to Dallas and gets himself a championship. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So Rick Carlisle so didn't like get he a, can't coach all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, he didn't become a better coach in Dallas. Right. But with that group, the timing just wasn't right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's, it, that is the thing. Some guys have ceilings. We've seen it like with a Doug Collins. He was good enough to get the sixes to the playoffs with Drew, and he ter- made that team. But, you again, Doug Collins has a certain set of values. We're going to defend. We're going to be this, that. He just burns your ass out. Mm-hmm. And you can only take so much Doug Collins. Right. But he, can, he's sh- he showed over his career what his forte was. I build up your bad team and make them play real good. Right, and then there's somebody else has to come on and and generally get them to the next and close step. the deal, and that's okay. But that's that's now you put yourself in this position, and people will say, you know, again, they say, oh, well, Kenny Atkinson is a great developer, sure, but in four years, Kenny Atkinson only has one winning season, and it was when 42 we, and thank 40 you, season. thank so you. Don't tell Dave. me that he's proven as a success and proven as developing if his record is this. Because if that's the argument you're going to use is, is that he's proven to be successful at developing players, but he ain't got no wins, then that, again, it ain't about the, the record. If that's what you talk about, I can put holes in anybody's resume. There Across ain't anybody, the board. Because there ain't anybody, unless they're a brand new coach, who, has, who hasn't probably lost more in their first job than they did win. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's very rare that you are put in a position unless you've been given a Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson type situation. Where right. Your team was built and ready to win. Right. Most times you get hired, I mean, or Billy Donovan or, you know, whatever. You come in and you got a, two MVPs on your roster. Well, look at also with Coach Carlisle, even after having won a championship with Dallas. Yep. Hey, he had some bad seasons until what? He got a Luca that puts you in a position where we're like, okay, and we might and have that's something. Just a function of what luck. luck. That's a random function. He could have been had. He could have had Trey Young, and Trey Young could have been a failure in Dallas. Yep. Instead of putting up thirty a night in Atlanta, and Luca could have been a failure in Atlanta instead of exactly. being an MVP candidate in Dallas. It's just the quirk of fate 
that he ends up in that situation with Rick Carlisle. And yeah, Rick Carlisle is going to look like a much better coach when you give him much better players. But at the same time, every one of those guys, you ain't never heard a word out of Seth Curry. You ain't heard a word out of Tim Hardaway. You ain't heard out of Maxi Kleber complaining about nothing because in that locker room, there ain't no complaining. None. There's and they they, have it. You ain't going to be there if you're that guy. You know, I know firsthand having worked for the Mavericks. And I remember one of the first things I told you about when I got back, I was like, see, man, they remember I kept telling you, even before, even before Chris Paul Perkins got that, like, bro, they are on a whole different level from the way they do everything. Dave, you feel it when you walk in the practice facility. And remember, I kept telling you, I go, dude, the Pelicans and the Mavs are night and day. Night and day, you could see everything that was going on, bruh. And even with me having coached at UT Dallas when I did, the Mavericks were different then when Mark Cuban had, first, had, had just recently gotten there. You could, and, and, and how Mark and the organization is now, 10, 12 years later, you have seen the growth. But the culture has never once weighed from Mark Cuban of who he wants, what he wants done. It does not wait at, at all. And what's the difference between the, the Dallas team this year, which is a horrible defensive team? A horrible defensive Yes, they were. Yes, they were. But you have two things that we're talking that have been common throughout this conversation. In one, Luka Doncic is the unquestioned center of that team. That's his team. And it will be his team as long as Mark Cuban has anything to say about it. <laughs> You know who's the, he's the he's leader, the leader right? of that squad. And the second thing is, I guarantee you this offseason that Rick Carlisle's gonna find him some defenders. Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm like that's that's the he's he, all he's doing now is I got Porzingis who can be an elite rim protector when he's when he's so committed. When he's engaged and when he's there, yeah. Yeah. And I have Luca who is not a great defender at this point, and I don't have any other real perimeter defenders, which is Dallas's biggest problem is that they don't stop the ball on the wings. Correct. That's what they're going to be looking for because they are building. They already have the culture. Now you build the team around your centerpiece. And your centerpiece has to accept that he is the centerpiece. And Luka Doncic from day one walked in and said, I'm a EuroLeague MVP, and y'all think it don't mean nothing, but none of you at 19 can go out and do it. So shut up and watch me play. And now we're talking about this dude, top three MVP candidate. (laughs) And he is, man. The way he carries himself, the way he has put this organization on his shoulders, gladly, willingly. You saw when he was competing going back and forth with LeBron, getting in LeBron's grill. Like, man, I don't care who you are. Dude, I'm going to give you this business. And here's what's going to happen. Coach Carlisle gets a couple of defenders. They may not still be great wing or on-ball defenders, but guess what they're going to become? Great team Team defenders. Because if I teach Luca how to communicate on defense, how to expend less energy, wasting my time on defense, get your fundamentals right, learn how to funnel, guys to your help learn how to stay in front of your man those are things that you can teach even the slowest footed player you can teach the slowest footed player don't feel like don't feel like luca you're on an island by yourself know that you got team help but do these certain things well do these certain things of knowing how to steer an offensive player a certain way 
which will then help alleviate you from having to be a great on-ball defender. Which brings me to the thing that I want to – so we, we go into this future. And, again, we're not going – I'm not throwing out a single coaching name because, again, we, I think we've said what we think about that. Yeah. But the next thing is Thursday is the draft lottery. Mm-hmm. Pelicans currently slated for 13th. Um, they have like a 6% chance basically of getting in the top four. Um, they have three second round picks, number 39, 52, and 60. I don't want to take a damn pick. Unless you, <laughs> unless you finish in the top four, unless you finish in the top four, there's not any, I don't, I don't think this team needs more young players unless you're sending some out. You do you not need, need it. You don't need you don't need four more 20 year olds coming in if you're trying to win games next year. That that you're not gonna make be, the playoffs with more getting younger. It would be it would be futile. So you have to make it attractive for players to want to come here who are seasoned veterans who can impact your culture and be it immediately. Not 20 or 30 games in after now we've lost so many games and you're hoping for something later on. No. Can we get an eight? That's, if you're hoping for eight, you're going to probably end up at 10. So There you go. <laughs> Again, if you accept mediocrity and you put this in your mind already, that's who you are. Hands down. So you need to bring in guys who are going to have an air of toughness about them. You need to bring in guys who also, which is essential, have a basketball IQ and understanding for the game. Yep. Guys who want to defend, not just say they can defend, but know, have shown you a propensity that they are de- defenders. All right. So you are literally setting the tone now. Again, the last thing you need basically in the NBA is a college basketball team with more young guys. All right. <laughs> the state of college basketball lets you know on its own that, yes, if it show me that team, you know what I mean? Show me that team that 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 is that young, because either you're going to take four to five years to build it up. But you ain't got that kind of time. Don't have that kind. Of, no, sir. You don't have that kind of time. You got to no, be ready sir. to win within three years, because when Zion gets to that point that we got with A.D., and we talked about this. When that extension comes at 12.05 or 9.05 or whatever the time is on that point. You know what's coming. If you have not taught that, if you have not created the winning culture, if you have not been to the second round of the playoffs at the very least, if you have not matched him, and if he has not assumed that responsibility, if he has not assumed that responsibility, everybody's going to want to part ways. You know everybody's what's coming. Hands down. And then, again, you're going to be right back at step one, all over again, and we're going to be having the same conversations like it's Groundhog's Day because we have not moved forward. It has got to be addressed. And, and, and what do we talk be. about when we talk about, the, 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 for folks, we're going to wrap it on this, the New Orleans Saints for 25 years, right? For 25 years. What was it? The, the, this, I mean, for, they were just awful. Yeah. And the culture, the ownership was awful. The leadership was awful. The facilities were awful. Everything was awful. So we're giving across the board. Awful. And that's what you get an awful product out of. So once that change started with Jim Finks, you know, and it it had its failures when they got away from it with Bill Kuhark and stuff. But then you bring in 
leadership with Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton that had a vision and an understanding of what they wanted to be. So it's like, it's, you see it all the time. LSU, all the talent in the world. Couldn't win a championship for all those years for less miles, getting close, not getting over the hump. Mm-hmm. What does it take? Ed Orgeron is not the greatest tactician who ever walked the face of the earth. Not at all. He ain't Bear Bryant. No. What did he do? He changed the culture. He created the feeling that LSU was a special, magical place, and he loved it, and he wanted you to love it. But at the same time, there's a work ethic that we care about here. There are coaches that I'm bringing in who know more than me, but, at the same, they, but they are accountable to me, and they know that I am the boss. And, you know, all the other things, the problems with college sports aside, that's the difference for LSU today than it was five years ago. And I'm also going to have players on my team who also hold each other accountable. I'm also going to have players on my team who are buying into what I am creating in this particular Because if culture. Joe Burrow doesn't become the leader of that team, it don't matter if he Joe Burrow threw for 6,000 yards or not. They could have won a championship if he is the unquestioned leader and is doing the job where everybody believes that when it's time to make the play, Joe would have made the play. If he threw for 3,500 yards last year and 30 touchdowns instead of 6,000 yards and 50, it would have been the same outcome if they knew they could trust him down in, yes. down out. And that's what the Pelicans, somebody's got to be the person that you can count on as to be the one who walks into that huddle on a timeout and says, we've got this. Yes. And it's, it's not, we got this. We got to get, we've done this. We've done right. this in practice. You prepared. Our training. You've been prepared. We've gone over it in practice. These are the situations that we were going over is for this moment right here. You've seen it on film. We walked through it on court. Do it. That's now your job execute. now. Do it. Let's execute. It's that's why really just that simple. It really is just that simple. Building that air of confidence. We talked about it when it came to Phoenix. Dude, Monty's job next season is going to be so easy because of the guys buying in, getting a taste of that winning success. Because remember, they went down there, weren't supposed to win one game. They win one game, and they're like, hey. And what does it do for Devin Booker? Oh. To get oh, a my taste goodness. of that makes Devin say, "That makes Devin say, hey, we're moving in the right direction. I'm the leader of this team. I'm gonna stay in Phoenix, despite what Draymond Green is talking about, who was politicking any dang on way. All right, it makes Devin Booker say, I want to be a part of this now because my teammates also are cheering me on. We've making the necessary strides. Dave, think about how easy it is to go into next season, knowing what you were able to accomplish." just in this very short it makes it so much easier for a coach to convey the messages now it makes it so much phoenix has become attractive again they have even the spurs if you say they went down there and we thought at the like talent wise they're gonna go they're gonna lose every game because they have no lamarcus and you playing DeRozan at the four that again that's more than coaching. That's pride. That's individual That's pride. pride. To say, we could have go. gone down there, played our eight games, and gone right home. Because they had, the shots, the long shot, I mean, it was an incredibly long shot. Same with Phoenix. You have no – even if you win 8-0, you still had the likelihood of you getting in. It showed. It was impossible, basically. But. But. 
you would have never you, known. You were a professional. You came to compete. You won the games. It doesn't matter who's on the floor. You won the games because if the Pelicans' attitude has been, well, we're going to beat up on these bad teams on the end, what the fuck, and I hate to say it that way, but what the fuck do you think they look at you as? <laughs> because they ain't worried about you when you come to town. So why are you acting like you're better than these people and you're going to get it, take advantage of the weak part of the schedule when you're the weak part of everybody's fucking schedule? Everybody, everybody looks forward to playing you so they can get a W because they know that's what you're going to get when you I'm gonna play I'm going to get a career high tonight. We're going to set a team record tonight. Dude, Something's hey, <laughs> you had a career night. You couldn't wait to play against the Pelicans. And here's the other thing about Phoenix, too. Let's not forget this. I guarantee you, Monty is also sending this message, and Devin and them are looking at it from the standpoint of, we were right there, and we were doing this in the beginning without DeAndre, DeAndre got yeah. even being part of our team. Right. Now imagine once they come back for camp here in December, bro. They have a whole their bodies, their body language is going to move differently now. They've got a winning mindset. You went from not even having a chance to wound up being your best player on your team was in the construct of being talked about the MVP of the bubble and Monty becomes the head coach of the bubble. You're talking about the culture and identity of what we started this whole podcast talking about, bro. It's, it's, it's obvious, but it's not easy. And I think, you know, again, you can change whomever you want. You can change whomever you want, but if they don't, come in with an utter obsession, essentially, with winning and competing, then it ain't going to work. And Dave, not just saying that you want to win, are you doing the things that are necessary? It's an obsession. It has to be. It has to be the thing that you wake up thinking about. It has to be the thing that you go to bed thinking about. It has to be every minute of every day for those who are – now – that start I'm talking about for your franchise player. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, my 12th guy, I just want him to do his job. Right. But if I, for Zion and B.I., if they don't come back next season and have committed to their bodies, to their defense, and to their decision-making, if they have not – if we don't see the next step up with, with those two guys, then that shows that it's bigger than, again, you, you can drop Alvin out, boom. If those guys don't come back this offseason with that dedication to being physically stronger, mentally tougher, and better defenders, none of this matters, man. With an intent, with an intent, with a purpose on hand, like you are upset the way this season ended, okay? You showed no fight. You showed no toughness. You showed that you are fine with being mediocre. And are you, are you willing to sacrifice to do the things of what it takes to win from the moment you get back with your teammates? Are you having the conversation with your teammates, with the organization, getting them to understand, listen, this has to be our M.O. starting right now. Hands down. And that's to, and again, 
you're going to see right away if that's what they've come back with, if this is who they're going to be. Yep. It, it, it's all rhetoric if you don't put into practice, into action, what is going to become of that court. Your body language, your eating habits. Has Zion already, not, not next month, even though the season may not get underway until December? No, no, no. Or no, January, no. we don't know yet. Or so January, right. Have you already hired a nutritionist? Have you already hired someone to make sure that even when you do wake up in the middle of the night to eat snacks, you're eating healthy snacks that's not sugary? Are you eating the necessary fruit? Are you doing the things that are necessary? Because talking about success, talking about W's mean nothing if you are not putting these habits into place. You move differently when you are about success and when you're about winning. Hands down. It's not the hemming and the hawing. It's not the making of excuses. It's not, well, be patient and understand. No. Cut it. Stop the excuses and mediocrity mindset because the way you think becomes the way you move in your action plan. What is your strategic plan going forward? And quite frankly, Dave, I don't need to meet with 30 guys to figure out who it is that I want to run my basketball team. I don't need to. And then additionally, here's the other thing I'm having a conversation with. You see everybody that works in operations, everybody that works in communications, everybody that works in sales, everybody I'm having a meeting with if I am running this organization. And I need them to also buy in because you're part of this culture as well. Yep. You see, when we bring in free agents in here, we want them to see and feel a particular way that it's not just in parts, but everyone here is a part of this Ferrari. Because you're not going to blow folks away with the practice facility. I mean, it's nice. It's cool. That ain't going to blow nobody away. What, they, what people want to feel like, like again, is, is that they're part of something that is bigger than they are and that it will be successful in any part of your life. You want purpose-driven work. That's what you want. You want to feel like what you do has value and meaning. And if we're just spinning wheels over here and we're having a circus to have one, uh, you know, then the Pelicans, like you said, we'll be doing this again in five years. We'll be doing this again in 10 years. And we'll be talking about the organization the same way. Because if you don't move with purpose, if you're moving out of desperation, if you're moving out of like if it's, it, you do, you stick to your plan. You stick to your plan. If you developed it, you adjust it. But again, it has to be your plan. And ultimately, you have to entrust somebody to make your plan into reality. As the director, as the CEO, I am not on the front lines to make sure that all these things happen. I should be aware and I should be holding my people accountable, but I got to give them the freedom to do their jobs Mm-hmm. under the demands that I have made. Mm-hmm. And that, it's that simple. It's Absolutely. that simple. And like you said, yeah. you can have that conversation with somebody and I'm with a coach and I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to talk about, are you, you know, I want to know about you, the individual, mm-hmm. because we, you can show me tape 
and you can show right. them, and all that's going to look good. That's why you put it together. That's right. what your agent is for. They're going to make sure I'm presented in the best light. But that conversation about your ideals, the who, who you are too, because mm-hmm. I want to know what kind of person you are. I'm going to talk to the people. Just like when they draft these players and they say, I went and did all my research on the people. And they, they do know their background research. That. Yep. It's the same with my coach. Mm-hmm. Because you can say, I want a disciplinarian, and you end up with Jim Boylan, and you alienate your players. Right. You can say, I want somebody who, get, who gives me tempo, and you end up with the Pelicans had with Alvin. Yeah, you got tempo, but you didn't get what you needed out of these players. So Absolutely. it's not about a singular philosophy of style of play. Nope. Because Paul Westhead was doing this running and gunning shit before anybody. Long before. But it's about who are you, man, and are you committed to these things? And do yep. we believe in you? And are you going to assert yourself in this position enough in those meetings with David Griffin, in those meetings with Trajan Laney, in those meetings with Swin Cash, in those meetings with my G League coaches who should also be part of my plan as the head coach? Am I assertive enough with them to say, let me do my job? You brought me here. You are paying me. Let me do my job. Yes, sir. You can't get that level because before Sean Payton won a Super Bowl, he had the ability to do his job. Yep. And that's all you want. That's all you want is to be in a position where you have it around everybody that is part of that construct. And Dave, I'm talking about even the simple way the front office administrator greets people when they walk into the facility. Even when it's phone conversations, when you're dealing with the media, all of that plays into the identity and the culture. All of it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's just the way. It's just the way. Successful companies are successful in every facet. Absolutely. From sanitation to the CEO. It don't matter. <laughs> Everybody is about the same thing. And that's, that's just the way it has to be. Um, we got to wrap because, man, we've been doing this for a minute. Um, yeah, but bro. I think that, look, I, it was not a it was not a exercise in just verbality. I mean, you know, being uh, no, not at all. And, 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 and it wasn't a knock on wasn't a knock on Alvin as a person. Nope. It wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't anything negative talking about the organization nope. because what's already done is done now. Where do we go from here? And this we is were the talking test. about yeah, the test I mean, we were talking about people. today. What we were talking about today is the direction now. What's done, it's in the past now. There's yeah. nothing we can do about it anymore. Who are we going to be this day and who are we going to be going forward? This is where the process starts now. Man, I don't think there's anything left to be said. So I'm going to just put it like this. That's all that needs to be said. So for Dino Hansen and for myself, David Grubb, this has been another episode of Hard in the Paint. I'll be back tomorrow. And until then, y'all be good.